sounds angelic. Give your guys a round of applause. Great job, guys. When we all get to heaven. That's literally one of my favorite songs to sing because it talks about one of my favorite, actually, not one of, my favorite place that one day we will be. Think about it, guys. When we all get to heaven. Wow. Do you think about that? When we all get to heaven? I pray that, as Brandon just said, I pray we can think about that moment when you first get there every single day. Amen, guys? Let's turn our Bibles here, guys. Let's turn our Bibles. Come on, bro. To Philippians 3.10. Philippians 3.10. Check this out. Let's see what Paul says. Paul the Apostle, that guy. (laughs) He was awesome. Philippians 3.10. The Bible reads this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering and becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Mm. Whoa. You know, it's so interesting. I know a lot of us here in this room, this is the singles in the campus house church. Amen. A lot of us are focused right now in our life on going to college. We're educating ourselves. We're seeking knowledge. We want to know so many things in life. Amen? Amen. Amen. What, what did Paul want to know? Christ. Check it out. He wanted to know Christ. To know the power of Christ's resurrection. And his sufferings. Look at the word. Participate in Christ's sufferings. You know what fascinates me is if you look in the Greek, this word participate or participation is the Greek word koinonia. Wow. Which literally means, I know this, there won't be a test afterwards. It's a koinonia. How do you spell that? Right? Does spelling count? What does koinonia mean? It means fellowship. Literally in the Greek. And Paul says, man, I want to know Jesus. I want to understand that power. I want to have that power in my life. And I want to fellowship with Jesus in every way, including to fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings. Mm. Isn't it interesting nowadays, it's so unfortunate how Satan has become so perversive in the quote-unquote Christian world Mm. where everybody wants Jesus, Mm. but they don't want the cross. Mm. Everybody wants to get to heaven, but they don't want to die. They want Jesus to give them all the promises, but he can keep the commands to himself. It's like, Jesus, we want heaven, we want your salvation, but but we don't want to walk the hill of Golgotha. But Paul says, no, no, you cannot know Jesus. You cannot understand and have the power that resurrected Jesus from the dead unless you also sign up for the fellowship of suffering. As they say, no cross, no crown. No guts, no glory. Let's look at another scripture here. You guys with me this morning? Mm-hmm. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. What are you asking Jesus for this morning? Are you asking him to fellowship in his sufferings? It's a very popular scripture. A lot of us may know this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What the heck does that mean? For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and uh, Belial? That's a chief demon, like Michael the archangel, but like his counterpart, right? The chief demon, Belial. Or what does a believer have in common? Again, koinonia, fellowship with an unbeliever. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Wow. What's so fascinating here, and I know those of us who are disciples, we understand that this is one of the, the biblical teachings where disciples only marry disciples. Because mm-hmm. we will not have partnership. We will not yoke ourselves together with non-disciples. Why? Because we have nothing in common. Isn't that fascinating? So what do you mean we have nothing in common? I'm a human. You're a human. That's a commonality. I go to school. You go to school. I'm a handsome guy, you're a pretty woman. Like, what is there to have in common? Isn't that interesting? That God would make such a bold statement. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it doesn't matter how handsome he looks. It doesn't matter how beautiful you think she is. You have nothing in common. Isn't that 
fascinating. Wow. You know, it's funny. I remember one time uh, sharing this with somebody that one of my best friends, his name is George Castillo. I oh, love George oh. Castillo. And it was so funny. Again, this might feel like an awkward, uncomfortable analogy, but oblige me. Like, follow <laughs> along here. And me and George, we have so much in common. He's one of my best friends. Like, whenever we're together, I mean, it can be like years that we're apart, but it's as if we were never had a moment apart. Mm-hmm. And we get together. He's one of my best friends. We talk about everything. We, we know each other so deeply. Why am I not married to George Castillo? (laughs) (laughs) It's awkward and funny, right? We have so much in common. Why am I not married to my friend George? Awkward. Because I'm a man, and he's a man. Although we get along so well, the one thing that's really needed isn't there. Think about it. You know, but isn't that true as disciples? You could have, quote unquote, so much in common with a non-disciple. Mm. But the one place it really matters, wow. your walk with God, wow. you don't have That's in so common. Cool. Wow. We don't have that kind of fellowship <laughs> with unbelievers. Mm. I want to ask you, how much in common do you have with the non-disciples around you? Mm. Some of us look like we have way too much in common. And God says, we have nothing in common. We have no fellowship mm. with the temple of God. In the temple of demons. Wow. What things have you been doing this week that you didn't do as a disciple? Like what, what things do you know that Jesus doesn't want you to do, but, but you've been doing secretly behind the doors of, of, of the disciples that now you're more like who you used to be before you were a Christian? Wow. In what areas of your life do you look like a non-disciple? Mm. You know, so fascinating. Uh, yesterday, uh, uh, Brittany and I uh, sat down with an incredible married couple. They're not disciples, but it was so fascinating. Uh, uh, in this study, they were really having a hard time yeah. grappling with the simple biblical teaching of discipleship. And in short, they had a really, really hard time accepting the fact that they weren't disciples. Why? Because they knew all these things about the Bible. Yeah. They just weren't doing it. Yeah. Like, hey, knowing these things doesn't make you a disciple. Mm-hmm. Satan knows these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Pharisees knew these things. Mm-hmm. But that didn't make them disciples. And it fascinated me. The question that Brittany asked, it, it resonated with me. I was like, oh, that was, that was a bit personal even for me. And she said, hey, just, just be honest with yourself. Go home. And when you pray to God, ask yourself, what might you be missing in your life? Mm-hmm. And so many people are afraid to ask God, God, show me the sin in my life. Mm-hmm. What might I be missing that you're commanding me to do? In other words, what areas of your life? May you have far too much in common with the world. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. You guys with me? Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. And yes, we're going to turn to verses 42 through 47. You know, this is a a season. um, As a church, every year we go over uh, the first principles of Christianity. And and at the end of that season, we we bookend it with a study, a series on the book of Acts. What? Because that's what the church looks like. That's the book of Acts. Right? Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, was the first ever Sunday service preached by Brother Peter. Right? And what fascinates me, again, I want to talk about this church. Why? Because we are this church. And if, if someone doesn't look like this church, then they're not the church. There might be their church or, or, or the, 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 the Pentecostal church or the Lutheran church, but they're not God's church. Let's check this out. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common fellowship. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke uh, bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, there's an old preacher story where a preacher uh, comes to uh, Sunday church and he preaches just this cataclysmic sermon. And the church is just absolutely bowled over. They're like, wow, preacher, thank you so much. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And he says, amen, I'm grateful. The church comes back the following Sunday and he preaches the same sermon. (laughs) Same exact sermon, word for word. And they're like, huh, that's interesting. Strange. And they come up to him again being cordial. Thank you, preacher. Uh, We really appreciate the message. It's exactly what we needed to hear. And the preacher says, amen. (laughs) Comes back again for a third Sunday service. He preaches the exact same 
survey. Mm. Wow. Finally, the church is like, preacher, what are you doing? Mm. You preach the same message all three weeks in a row. Mm. He said, it's because you looked the same all three weeks in a row. When you start to change, I will start changing the lesson. You know, the truth is sometimes we can hear these things over and over again. It's like, God, why are you teaching me the same lesson? It's simple because you haven't learned it yet. So today I want to talk about something that's very, very simple. Fellowship. Okay. You know, in, in our songbook, Song 385, I haven't opened already. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Amen. We have a divine in the room. Amen. Come on. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. The title of the sermon this morning is simply, What a Fellowship. Mm. What a Fellowship. What does that word even mean? What is fellowship? <laughs> Before you can start talking about what a fellowship. The word fellowship, literally, again, the Greek word is koinonia. It means to have in common or to participate. On, you know, it's so interesting, even in the religious world, people ask, oh, where do you fellowship? You know, like, as if to say, where do you go to church? You know, when we think of the word fellowship, we're like, oh, man, we, we come together, we, we sing songs, we pray to Jesus, we do all these spiritual things. And the answer is yes. Yeah. But the word fellowship is actually not a religious word. The word fellowship simply means to participate, to have in common. I know that when I was in university, I was studying to become an actuary. And as an actuary, there are three different fellowships that you can be a part of. Each fellowship, by the way, paid more. So if you were in a lower fellowship, you got a certain amount of money. If you were in a higher fellowship, you got a higher amount of money. If you are in the highest fellowship, you just made way too much money, right? <laughs> but, but, but there are these words. Even in universities, you can have different accolades, different fellowships. Why? Because even in the world, the secular, non-religious train of thinking, these are areas in which we have in common. As disciples, it's cool when you look at Acts chapter 2, that the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, and separately as well, to fellowship. What does it mean to fellowship? Well, when a disciple wants to go and play basketball, and he invites another disciple alongside him to go play basketball. What do you call that? Fellowship. Fellowship. When you want to go to the grocery store, and you invite another disciple with you to go to the grocery store, what do you call that? Fellowship. Fellowship. When you want to do laundry, as a brother, and you invite another brother, amen, to do laundry with you, what do you call that? Fellowship. So what is fellowship? It's disciples doing ordinary, normal things together. Fellowship. How much do you enjoy just being around another disciple. Mm. You know, they say the test of fellowship in someone's heart <laughs> is how often they meet up with the other disciples outside of the meetings of the body. Yep. Mm. I fellowship with disciples all the time for Sunday service, for Devo, for midweek, for Bible talk. And I'm like, praise God, that's great. But if that's the only time you really hang out with disciples, you don't really have a heart for fellowship. Mm -hmm. You have a heart for the bare minimum. But what's the last time as a sister you just wanted to hang out with Deshara? Because Deshara is awesome. Come on, Deshara. like, too many phone calls. When's the last time you hung out with TK just because he was your friend? Come on, come on. So you don't have to do anything formal. You don't have to put up a production. You don't even have to have a plan. He's like, man, you're just my friend. I want to fellowship with you you know the reason for me this is so close to my heart is because literally what satan has attacked during the season of covid is fellowship mm -hmm. like satan wants to rip the fellowship apart he wants to keep disciples away from each other so they can't just do things together mm. i appreciate the boldness that we all have coming here together to meet in person for church mm -hmm. you know so what is so oftentimes uh, in this season People love coming to our church because we're one of the only churches that still meets in person. Wow. And even normal human beings miss seeing other humans' faces. Mm -hmm. So I just want to see other humans. Mm -hmm. This is what we do as disciples. We're devoted not just to prayer. We're devoted to fellowship mm -hmm. with one another. Yeah. Today, I got five quick points. Come on, bro. And it's from this passage here in Acts chapter 5. The apostle teaching. 
to baking of bread. Uh, breaking of bread, baking of bread, breaking of bread, <laughs> prayer. It says they all had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, giving, sacrifice, and they met every day in the temple courts. We're going to talk about that. So point number one is that they were together in the word. Mm. They, were together. they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were together in the word. Let's go to Psalm 107. Mm-hmm. Psalm 107. This is a scripture that earlier this week, uh, uh, God put on my heart uh, during one of my quiet times. And and it really just blew me away. Check this out. Check this out. When we think of solutions to life, antidotes to the world's diseases and spiritual problems, check this out. In Psalm 107. Come on, Kevin. In this passage, previously, a little bit of background, basically the psalmist is talking about all the hurt that's in the world and different reasons why people hurt themselves. And here it's talking about people who are just, they make stupid decisions. And they suffer the consequences of those stupid, rebellious decisions. But but look at what God does to save them from said decisions. Psalm 107, verse 17. Some became fools, like Brandon shared in his uh, uh, contribution today. Don't be a fool and and break promises to God. Some became fools. The Hebrew word for this is stupid. Some just were just dumb. Through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They suffered the consequences of their actions. They loathed all food. You ever been in a position in your life where you're just so full of regret that you just can't eat anything? Yeah. That's what it's talking about. Like literally, you, you suffered so much affliction because of your own decision making that you just can't eat. Yeah. You loathe food. Oh, wow. And drew near the gates of death. Mm. Then they cried, finally, <laughs> finally. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Praise God. You ever feel like you're just too far gone for God to save? Yeah. So God, I've just made way too many bad decisions in my life. You know, it, it, it's true to be said that as disciples, we suffer the consequences of our righteous decisions, such as persecution, mm-hmm. such as people leaving us. No, I appreciate that the, the honesty and the vulnerability that our sister Ashley shared in her communion. Yeah. It's like, man, I've chosen to follow Jesus. Yeah. And let's just be real. It was not what I expected. Mm. God, I want these things. What's going on? And then she read the scripture from Isaiah 55. God's like, don't worry, my child. My ways are above your ways. Yeah. In other words, to say, you may not understand it, but it's also a lot better. <laughs> so we suffer the, 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 the consequences of our righteous decisions. But, but God also saves us mm. from the consequences in our unrighteous decision-making. Mm-hmm. See, God can save anyone. Verse 20, but how's, how does he do that? He sent out his word wow. and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Wow. So what does God do to save people? He gives them his Bible. You know, people say, God, show me a sign, and then throws a book in their face called the Bible. And people say, God, show me another sign. See, God sends his word to rescue people. The basic instructions before leaving earth. This is the manual to fix our broken lives. But what if we don't know God's word? Mm. Then we keep ourselves from being saved spiritually and physically see god wants to rescue us that's why he wants us to study the bible let's go to luke chapter 24 let's look at a little case study here jesus dies on a cross his disciples scatter they're just absolutely depressed despair distressed about life And what fascinates me is looking at this little case study here in luke 24 again they were together in the word Let's see what Jesus and his angels do to prescribe their spiritual dilemma. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 5. Again, Jesus is risen from the dead. Uh, 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 The women go to the tomb. And and in verse 5 of Luke 24, in their fright, the women bowed down in their faces because they saw the angels. (laughs) <laughs> bow down on the ground but the men said to them why do you look for the living among the dead I love that question because uh, we thought he was dead right we didn't know he was living he is not here he is risen check this out remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified and on the third day be raised again then they remembered what his, his, word. his words 
the angels come and meet the women who are now at the risen Jesus' tomb. And what was their solution to their problem? The Bible. Scripture. Jesus' words. But then we continue on. Check this out in verse 25. The road to Emmaus. Jesus visits two of his disciples who are struggling. They're literally leaving Jerusalem. They're going the wrong direction. And Jesus saves them. He comes to them, has a cameo appearance just for these two. And what is Jesus' solution to their spiritual waywardness? Okay, chapter 24, verse 25. He said to them, how foolish. There it is again, the word fool. I didn't see that before. How foolish you are and how slow to believe. All the prophets have spoken. There it is, the scriptures. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the what? Scriptures concerning himself. Skipping down to verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. Amen, food. Gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Dang it. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Hmm. What was Jesus' solution to their disbelief? Scriptures. Scriptures. He literally had a Bible study with them. (laughs) Go down to verse 44. Now Jesus is talking to all of his 12 apostles. In verse 44 of the same chapter, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the what? Law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. It's the scriptures. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What was Jesus' solution to the problem that the 12 apostles had? Scriptures. Let's go to John 14. John 14. I think sometimes we can fail to realize that God's word is what saves us. Amen. Jesus' blood on the cross is the thing that saves us. But we don't even know that exists. We don't even know what that means without the scriptures. John 14, verse 26. Jesus talking now about the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 25. All this I've spoken to you, again, John 14, verse 25. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, there he is, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Wow. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do? How is the Holy Spirit going to teach us? He's going to remind us of all the things Jesus has said. But I want to ask you, how can the Holy Spirit remind you of things you never knew to begin with? Come on, bro. Jesus, you need to read my scriptures, and then my Holy Spirit can remind you. Sometimes people ask, well, why do you study the Bible with so many people? Well, like, because that's where God's promises are. That's where God's salvation is found. This is what Jesus used, literally, to save the world. Are you devoted this morning to the apostles' teaching? Mm-hmm. How often do you read your Bible? To ask maybe a more potent question, how often do you enjoy reading the Bible? Mm-hmm. How often do you enjoy it? If nobody asked you how your quiet times are going for a week, how many quiet times would you actually have? Do you want to read the Bible? Or do you simply have to read the Bible? Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Personally, for me, there are times where I have to read the Bible. I do not want to read the Bible this morning. (laughs) But that's not all the time. Mm -hmm. That's not even often. That's the exception. So sometimes we've got to deny ourselves and push through. But is it every day that you have to have to, have to read the Bible? Or do you realize that the solution to all of your life's problems are in this book? Mm. You know, as college students, during the test, when you don't know an answer, you're like, man, I just wish I had the book right here in front of me to tell me the answer. And you love, in that moment, the textbook. Mm. And yet life is an open book exam. The textbook is right here. Are you more in love with your chemistry book? Do you spend more time reading your history book than you do reading God's book, Mm. the Bible? Could you say that you are in fellowship with God's people together in the word? Mm. Together in the word. You know, I I wanna encourage those of us who are visiting today to be devoted to studying the Bible with us. Why? Because that's what the apostles did. (laughs) That's what the disciples did. 
they were together in fellowship with one another, reading the scriptures together. And when you read the Bible, I'm going to give you another challenge. Mm. Do it. Mm. Just do it. You know, when you look out here at Toronto, there, there are so many churches, and yet very little Jesus. Why? It's because so many people know about the Bible, but very few people actually live out the Bible. Do you look like Jesus? Do you look more like Jesus today than you did last week? If the answer is no, let's get together and let's study the Bible to be together in the Word. Amen, guys? Amen, bro. Come on, bro. Point number two, together in meals. Amen! Together in meals. Amen! It says that they were together. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. What does that mean? They ate bread together, <laughs> literally. You know, it's kind of cool that um, there's, there's two pieces to this. There's the physical side, praise God, and there's also the spiritual side. I'm just going to throw this out there. So literally, do you know how there's like a token prayer? Like, you know, whenever we get together, like, guys, nobody eat until you pray. And then there's that one pagan who starts to eat, and you're like, oh, uh, let me put the food back down, right? It's like, all right, bro, you pray, right? TK, you pray. You know, we have that token prayer at the beginning of all of our meals, well, early in the church, they would have their token communion. How often would the disciples have communion? Every single day. In the middle of their meal, they'd always pause and be like, guys, I know we're enjoying our food. We're breaking bread together. But let's, let's take a moment to just remember Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was a time in the middle of every meal that they had of silent prayer, self-reflection, and meditation. Is there anything right now, as I'm enjoying the food that Jesus has given me, is there anything in my heart that's keeping me from God? Is there anything in my heart that's keeping me from one of the other brothers? There's a spiritual piece to it, but there's also a physical piece. Let's check this out, guys. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 2. There's something important that we can fail to realize about literally eating together. Mark chapter 2. You guys still with me? Come on, bro. Mark 2, 13. This is what the Bible reads. I read this earlier in the week. For one of my quiet times. Once again, <laughs> Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. This is verse 13. A large crowd came in and began to te- he began to teach them. Verse 14. As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed Jesus. Now check this out. What happens immediately after that? While Jesus was having dinner, praise God, Jesus had dinner. <laughs> At Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this. What happens with Jesus around the dinner table? Sermons are preached. Mm. Hearts are cared for. Lives are changed. You know, I'm the guy that likes to think of Jesus as a person because he was. He was fully God and fully man. And I I looked at this and it cracked me up. It blew me away. How many times in the Gospels, four Gospels, four books, how many times was Jesus found eating with people? You wouldn't believe it. Looking at it myself, I found at least, no joke, there were at least 35 different passages where Jesus is found eating. Jesus was a brother who loved food. He loved food. But he didn't eat by himself. I mean, you think about it, the first miracle he performed was at a wedding banquet. How often do you eat with other disciples? Seriously. I know some of us are like, that's weird. I've never heard this before. Neither had I. <laughs> but you know what fascinates me? I know in, in, in like a elementary school or middle school or high school, who would you normally eat around? Friends. Your friends. <laughs> Have you ever tried to eat around someone that you're angry at? <laughs> yeah, you can't. You literally can't eat with somebody that you're upset with. Mm-mm. You can't eat with strangers. <laughs> There's something seriously, I know this might sound wacky and goofy, but it's in the Bible, so it's true. There's something unifying. There's something that, that, that creates fellowship when we literally have a meal together. Wow. That's why household dinners are so important. Yep. 
That's why households with uh, the dinners with the brothers and the sisters together, having meals with one another is so important. Literally, when you have a meal, open up a scripture where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He taught them around the dinner table. He rebuked them around the dinner table. He encouraged them around the dinner table. He forgave people literally around the dinner table. I remember there was a, there was a young man uh, that I was discipling at one point. He's very sad. Um, I was discipling him, and, and I realized he was, he was very outgoing, very, very uh, a good-looking gentleman, to be honest, very athletic, super smart, super, like, like he had all these friends. He was like one of those people that always had visitors out to church, super easy for him to bring people out to church. But one day I realized, I'm like, I'm looking at this scripture in Acts chapter 2, and I'm like, bro, I realize you don't really eat around the disciples. I've never seen you eat. What do you eat? He's like, yeah, I don't really feel comfortable eating around the church. I always go home to eat. And, and at that time, again, after church, we'd always go out to eat somewhere. We'd go to like Costco, right? Because it's super cheap. It's where yeah. they keep the cost low. And naturally, we were broke, right? <laughs> but we'd go out to eat. We'd go like Denny's or something. And, and whenever we would do that, we would fellowship around food. He'd go home. And I'm like, you know what? I, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know why the spirits put this on my heart. I don't know why it feels weird. But I don't, I don't think that's a, a healthy thing. For, for you to do that, to just go home and to eat by yourself. So I challenged him, bro, I want you to eat around the disciples. And he refused. Mm. He did not want to eat around the disciples. Two weeks later, he straight fell away. Oh. Because he didn't feel comfortable eating around the disciples. Oh. Again, this might sound a little peculiar, but it's a passage we oftentimes overlook. I want to encourage us to eat together. Mm. There's something about the family that just jumps out at you when we break bread together. Amen. Do you fellowship around the dinner table? Or when the brothers or sisters are eating, do you just put on your headphones and tune out and enjoy your movie and just eat your food? <laughs> like, there, there's a reason why Jesus ate with his disciples. If Jesus didn't want to eat with his disciples, he would have taken his food and gone outside. But I think a lot of us, there are parts in our hearts where we just get to a point where we're like, hey, I just don't want to have to deal with you right now. I want to enjoy my food. I want to enjoy my, my solo time right now and not have to talk to anyone. And that exposes a shallowness in our love for one another. Wow. Every week, I want to challenge us to have meals, plural, with the disciples. Not once, not twice throughout the week. Why? Because they were devoted. To breaking bread together. You guys with me? Come on. Point number three. Together in prayer. Together in prayer. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Together in prayer. I know this is a very practical lesson. So it's simple. Let's just do it. Luke chapter 9. Come on, bro. Luke chapter 9. And, and, and this scripture, is, it, it's got a story in my heart, a story in my life. It's very close to my heart. This was, I'll never forget it. This was the shortest and most powerful quiet time. I've ever had in my life. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. And I'll never forget this. There was a booklet that I used to always give out to people uh, when they first uh, became disciples called The First 40 Days of Discipleship. I'll never forget it. And and I I know there's like one or two of them floating out. And so I may have had a different one out giving it Mm -hmm. to disciples. And and I was like a a, a little further along in my discipleship. It was like the second or third year as a disciple. And I was giving these booklets out. And somebody once asked me, Kevin, have you actually read it? I'm like, no, I actually haven't. (laughs) I've actually never gone through this myself. I'm like, well, (laughs) let me look through it. And it was funny because that was back in the day. And man, I still struggle with pride. But like, I was like really prideful, right? I was like super like, kind of like, it's it's too simple for me. Like, I'm a mature disciple. Come on, Kevin. Garbage. (laughs) And I literally, in my heart, I thought, well, this is for young Christians. The first 40 days of discipleship. I'm past the first 40 days of discipleship. And, and it was like the Holy Spirit just threw a brick at my face. It was like, shut up. You know, it's like, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And literally, I opened this booklet up just to at least say that I'd gone through it with people. And this was the first scripture of the first day of the first page of the first days of uh, first 40 days of discipleship. And it was one scripture. And I felt so convicted. Check this out. What a fellowship. Together in prayer. Verse 18. One scripture. Once... When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Wow. And then what was interesting at that point in my life, I realized that my prayer life was a private life. And Jesus in his private prayer life was with his disciples. Even when Jesus was praying to God in private, the other disciples 
were with him. Mm. And at that point in my life, I realized the Holy Spirit was like, Kevin, when's the last time you prayed with the people you disciple? And my mouth dropped, and I'm like, God, I have never prayed with my other, like with the other disciples. I want to ask you, how often do you pray with the other disciples? If you're currently discipling someone, how often do you go off to a private place and pray with your disciples together in prayer? Let's look at another scripture. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. This is why we focused so much and tried so hard and talked a lot about corporate prayer. Corporate meaning group. Group prayer. The important, the impact, the magnitude in the scriptures of group prayer. Jesus prayed in groups. He prayed with his disciples all the time. Amen. He also prayed by himself. But, but, but I feel like a lot of us feel comfortable, in a way almost too comfortable, praying only by ourselves and not comfortable enough praying with the other disciples. Why? Because we understand that prayer is an honest to God opening of the heart to our Father in heaven. And we don't want to do that around each other. It's like, man, I don't want to pray about these things around my sister. Because then she's going to know what I struggle with. Mm. Duh. Mm. I I don't want to pray about this with my brother because then it's going to be embarrassing. He's going to know what I'm going through. Precisely. Do you feel comfortable to be intimate in that way Mm. with your fellow disciples? Come on, bro. Check this out. Acts chapter 1. Verse 12. Jesus just ascends into heaven. They're waiting for the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, And what do they choose to do? Verse 12, Acts chapter 1. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day's walk. Do you know how far that is? Mm. Yeah, neither do I. From the city, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in what? Prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about 120. Wow. It's so amazing. They could have done to they could have chosen to do so many different things. But after Jesus left, he went up to heaven. What was the number one thing they wanted to do? Pray. Why do you think they wanted to pray? Because now Jesus was no longer physically with them. So they wanted to get close to Jesus as much as they possibly could. And they're like, Jesus, I just want to feel you with me. I want to see you. So let's pray. They missed their friend. They missed Jesus already, but they knew that if they prayed, Jesus would be there with them. Mm. Together in prayer. Again, it's simple, but are we doing it? Mm. Praying every single day with each other. Because I want to give us a simple challenge. Every day this week, let's pray together. Simple. Let's devote ourselves to praying together. Fellowship together in prayer. Can we do that, guys? Come on, bro. Amen. Point number four, together in giving. Let's go to John chapter 3, verse 16. Together in giving. Again, uh, alluding back to Acts chapter 2, verse, I think it's verse 43 or 44, where it says they gave, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were together in contribution. That's why as disciples, we give on a weekly basis of our own finances to help support the work of God. They did it in Acts 2. They did it throughout the book of Acts. So we do it as well. But let's go to John chapter 3, verse 16. And and I want to share this because this was actually something, again, the power of being together in scriptures, the power of praying together. Earlier this week, uh, some of the brothers in the brother's household, I I had the privilege of joining them for a time of group quiet time. And it was amazing because we sat down and we literally... We started by all praying together. And then we spent about an hour, like 50 minutes or an hour, all reading our Bibles, reading our own passages, having our own quiet time. And then at the end of an hour, we just stopped. We paused in the middle of our quiet times, and we just shared what we got out of it. Mm-hmm. We spent about maybe 15, 20 minutes sharing. It was like six of us, five or six of us. And, and the five or six of us took about 15 minutes sharing shortly with each other what we got out of God's Word that morning. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll never forget what Tim shared. Come on, Tim Kazosi. In John chapter 3, uh, pray for him, by the way. The reason why he's not here this morning is because he's taking a test for school at our house of all places. So pray for Tim to do well. Amen. He's doing great spiritually. Just pray for his schooling. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 16. It's a very famous passage. 316. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus, uh, God gave. Jesus gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal, Eternal life. And I'll never forget it because uh, talking with Tim, it, it's sad. Uh, uh, in another passage in Luke 14, Jesus basically talks about if you love mother or father more than me, wife, children, even your own lives more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Mm-hmm. And, and it's such a profound thing for Jesus to say because really what he's getting at is even our own family members can get in the way of our relationship with God. Why? Because they may believe certain things about the Bible, but they don't believe all the things in the Bible. Yeah. And, and it's sad to say how many disciples, like their families are religious, but as soon as they, their, their family members see them become disciples and doing all that the Bible says, all of a sudden their family begins to persecute them. It's like, yeah, I know it's good to be religious, but this is a little too much, Dylan. It's like, I know, I know it's good to be religious, but, but Nero, this is a little too much. Like, don't be so religious. And we say, we're not being religious, we're just being biblical. We're just being normal disciples. And, and what Tim was sharing is how many people have a hard time in Luke 14 giving up their families mm. for Jesus. And, and I'll never forget what Tim said, is people struggle to give up their families for God, ignoring the fact that God gave up his family for us. God literally gave his only son that we might become his family too. And sometimes we're like, God, giving is too much. And God's like, it's not too much. We fail to realize that God has given too. See, God has literally lent us his money. God has lent us his time. God has lent us his oxygen, his shoes, his clothing. Everything we have, God gave it to us. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, again, at this time, it's been mentioned multiple times in service, partly because, amen, we all love Isaiah. Isaiah is incredible. But, but, but money, as, as Brandon shared in his contribution, money is a very sensitive spot in people's hearts. Yeah. What fascinates me is that Jesus talked about money more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. Jesus talked about the kingdom. Number one, he talked about money, number two, and then talked about discipleship, number three. Why would Jesus talk about money so much? Because people love money. Mm. That's why he talks about, he's like, he's literally rebuking their idols. And at this time, how much have you personally given for the November uh, uh, Remembrance Collection? Now again, uh, the Remembrance Collection, the due date is, is November 15th. And yes, we're trying to put Isaiah on full time to be ministry. Because that's what Jesus would want. That's what the apostles did. That's why in Acts 2, they gave up property and possessions to give to anyone who had his need. How much have you personally given? I know last week I gave a challenge for all of us to give at least a dollar. Literally something, a toonie, a loonie, a quarter. Did you do that? Many of us haven't. And I remember when I gave that challenge last week, we're like, ooh, man, that's good. Hey, man, bro, let's go for it. And how many people still didn't do it? Maybe this is the same lesson. Maybe this is the same challenge. But for some of us, we look the same. I want to encourage us. Give something. Amen. Maybe you can't make your goal. Praise God. You know, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. That's okay. It's not a salvation issue. But but you can give something. Something. To be together in giving. Amen, guys? Finally, point number five. Together in evangelism. Together in evangelism. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Check this out. Matthew 26. You know, oftentimes we we look at the the passage in in Acts 2. It says that they uh, gathered every day together in the temple courts. Then you ask the question, what the heck were they doing in the temple courts? And some people say, oh, they were praying because it's the temple. Believe it or not, they actually weren't praying in the temple courts. That's not what people did in the temple courts. They went to the temple to pray. But what they did in the temple courts... Is different. So Matthew chapter 26, check this out. And, and this is a, a part of the crucifixion of Jesus. He's getting arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, betrayed by Judas Iscariot, arrested by the, the, the chief priests, the elders, and, and the officers. But Jesus says something here uh, that, that makes us privy to the activities that happened in the temple courts. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, in verse 55, check this out. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? 
Every day. How often? Every day. I sat in the temple courts doing what? Teaching. So they gathered the disciples every day in the temple courts to do what? Teach. Every day Jesus met in the temple courts to teach. Naturally being disciples of Jesus, they were going to do what Jesus did in the temple courts. Mm -hmm. So they were going to teach too. You know, the temple courts, it's like when you go to the mall. And there's the mall, and then there's the food court. Ooh. And oftentimes they put the food court at the beginning of the mall. Mm-hmm. So you literally have to walk through the food court to get to the rest of the mall. The temple courts, literally, it was the entryway to the temple. So anyone who wanted to get to the temple had to go through what? The temple courts. This was a strategic bottleneck that Jesus and his disciples employed because they know, hey, if anybody was really seeking God, they're going to come through here. And so they weren't dumb about this. They didn't go to the brothels to preach. They didn't go to the bars to preach. When they were in Jerusalem, they went to the most spiritual place where they knew people would be open, most likely, the temple courts. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Come on, It's bro. cool that there isn't just a gospel message. Amen. That's true. But there's a gospel method. It's amazing to look at the ministry of Jesus and to, to, to see the strategy, the method in the madness, so to speak. In Acts chapter 5. Again, the disciples are found in the temple courts. Acts 5, verse 12. The Bible reads, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Well, what is Solomon's colonnade? Literally, if you look at the temple, it's really cool. The temple obviously was like a rectangle in Jerusalem. And the temple courts was the area surrounding the temple. Well, what surrounded the temple courts? Solomon's Colonnade. So literally, the Solomon's Colonnade was the physical doorway to get into the temple courts. Mm. And it's really cool if you look at pictures of it, it's literally like a, like a, anybody who's ever been to York University, yeah. right, when, when uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but it's actually called the Colonnade, that U part. It's like that outdoor, indoor hallway. You know, if you want to go from like the East Accolade building to Valley Hall, you walk down the colonnade. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever been, to, been there during the summertime, but they'll actually lift up the windows. Mm-hmm. And so you just see pillar, 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 pillar. And you're walking all the way from the U of T subway station down the colonnade to Vari Hall and you just see pillar, pillar, pillar. That's literally what it looked like in the temple in Jerusalem. It was a series of columns that people had to walk through to get to the temple courts to get to the temple. Mm-hmm. So when the disciples were in Jerusalem, where would they have Bible talk? The colonnade, the temple courts. You know, if somebody was wondering, you know, hey, I'm not sure if I want to be a disciple, but I want to learn more. Where do I go? They literally would go to the temple courts. People knew where to find the disciples in the temple courts. Let's keep on reading. In verse 17. So they were arrested. It says here in verse 17. Uh, they were they arrested because they were preaching. Then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Awesome. Go stand in the temple courts. There it is. And tell the people all about this new life. Mm. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. That was the religious police. The Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. What the heck? So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in where? The temple courts teaching the people. They were devoted together in evangelism. You know, one of the things I love is is doing uh, the discipleship study with somebody and and sharing with them the biblical command of daily evangelism. And a lot of people are very resistant to that. I know we're studying with a couple currently, Brittany and I, who have just a very hard time understanding what daily evangelism means. Mm -hmm. It means daily evangelism. You're talking to people on a daily basis about Jesus. And and really I was having a hard time because me, in in these cases, I'm a very logical person. I'm like, how come people have such a hard time understanding 
that daily evangelism is a command from the Bible, and then it hit me. It's because they've never seen it done before. Mm. They don't see people actually evangelizing on a daily basis. And one of the most common questions is like, well, do you evangelize every day? I'm like, yeah. Like, oh. Well, do you evangelize every day? We're like, yeah. <laughs> well, what about your church? I'm sure there are people in your church who don't evangelize every day. We're like, no, that's what we do. We all evangelize every day. And that's why one of the most powerful things we can do as disciples, when somebody's struggling in that area, is just simply bring them with us to go evangelize every day. Because then when they see it, they're like, wow, yeah, I've, I've never seen this before. Like, I've never done it. Mm-hmm. Because we're together in evangelism. Mm-hmm. You know, right now in the season of COVID, I know that evangelism has become excruciatingly difficult and uncomfortable for many. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's hard. It's harder to evangelize in person. But I know that the challenge has been given, at least to the campus ministry, for virtual social media evangelism. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked about it a lot in the last several weeks as a campus ministry. And I want to ask us, how's your virtual evangelism going? Have you actually been reaching out to people on social media? I know sometimes we're like, all right, I'm going to share with somebody on Instagram, but first I got to work on my Instagram. We'll post up pictures and do things and do cool stuff (laughs) and spend hours looking at Facebook, hours looking at Instagram and fail to actually share with somebody Mm. via those platforms. I want to put it before this group right here, both the campus and the singles ministry. Let's evangelize even via social media. Let's use that platform to reach out to people. Why? Because Jesus would. Jesus would use any means necessary to reach out to his friends, to his family, to his countrymen, to his neighbors, to everyone possible. Let's make sure that we're evangelizing, even virtually. And let's make sure that we're evangelizing in person. You know, back in these days, I I think we forget that they were thrown in jail because they were evangelizing. And, and yet, as disciples, we can allow COVID to keep us from evangelizing. Oh. Well, well, the authorities said we can't congregate and, and talk to people about, you know, things in general in public. Well, yeah, well, they weren't allowed to either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's not be afraid to evangelize in public, in person, even during COVID. Yep. And, and maybe this is something that you're not personally doing. Maybe you're not used to seeing a group of people together in evangelism. That's okay. Just join. <laughs> be a part of that. Because that's what they did in Acts chapter 2. This is what true biblical fellowship looks like. Guys, in conclusion, what a fellowship. Let's continue to be together in the word. Let's continue to be together even in meals. Let's continue to be together in prayer, together in giving, and together in evangelism. Because that's the church. And anything other than that isn't God's church. It's not God's koinonia. It's not a true fellowship. Guys, I pray that you're motivated and inspired to be partakers, even in Christ's sufferings, to have nothing in common with the world, but to have everything in common with each other. So let's go out and continue to have an incredible fellowship with God and each other. Amen, guys? Amen.